0: In a series right now, we're in between, uh, in between modules of the Disciples Project as we've, we've kind of almost gone through our first year of the Disciples Project, one more module uh, next month and we'll have gone through a whole year of Disciples and that's a, just a journey we're going on to see what it looks like to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and kind of putting some, put some practical legs to that. Uh, But in between each of those modules, we do a series and and take a break from that, and this one we've been doing is called Freeway, and it's it's not something we created, It's it's put out by a group called People of the Second Chance, And it's something that we want to incorporate into our entire ministry here as a church and hoping will become a catalyst, bringing people who are clients and guests to our food pantry and some of the other things we do and kind of be that in-between step to getting them into our community and, and connected to the church. So we wanted to take the whole church through it and get you comfortable with it, get a feel for it, and then down the road as we offer it, if you want to help us with that leading and coaching and things like that, you've been through it, you know what it's like. But it's been a great series, and um, I, hope, I hope you've been discovering some things about yourself. It's, it's about kind of getting rid of setting ourselves free from some of the junk in the past that holds us down, some of the things that are keeping us from moving forward and finding freedom to get on the freeway. The first week was about awareness. What What is it that we need to be aware of? And we said awareness increases as hurry decreases. So as we become more content with our lives and slow down, then our awareness about what God wants to do in us will will increase. And that leads us to discovery. So that once we are aware, we can discover these things, whatever it is we need to work on, what we might need to cut loose and, and let go and then as we discover them, then we, we take the next step, which is ownership, and while there are things that happen in our lives that aren't our fault, there are things that happen to us, how we deal with them moving forward is always our responsibility, and we don't want to, uh, we don't want to allow the past to have control over us, and if the past isn't in our past, and it's affecting our present, then we haven't really gotten past it yet. And last week, we talked about forgiveness and canceling the debt that we think someone else might owe us, or even accepting our own forgiveness, so forgiving ourselves for the mistakes that we've made and allowing ourselves to, to move on. This morning we're going to talk about wholeheartedly embracing your identity, it's acceptance, accepting who you are, accepting your identity, um, and as, as I've said throughout this series, I would encourage you to go look up these videos. This is, these are not original to me. I'm not writing this series. And um, um, Pete Wilson is who you can go look for on, on YouTube and look up some of these. He does a great job, especially with last week and this week, I'd really encourage you to go look those up on YouTube and get that. Uh, but so, as we get into it, if you have your phone, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to pull that out to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29 is where we're gonna be, and while you have your phone out, if you wanna check in on Facebook, we always appreciate that and let the world know you're here. Say it loud and proud, or say something weird. I don't, I don't really care what you say, just check in. But uh, we're gonna talk about Jacob and Esau. Does anyone know whose uh, father Who was the father of Jacob and Esau, anyone know? Isaac, okay. So and if you read through the Old Testament, you'll hear uh, that when people refer to God as the, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So if, you, if you've kind of read any of the Old Testament, you might have come across that, that phrase a little bit, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, this is Jacob. This is kind of how Jacob gets into into the mix. And one thing that is great to pay attention to as you read throughout all of scripture, especially in the Old Testament, there are a lot of messed up, broken, faulty, imperfect people who have become cornerstones and key members of our faith. That's just as important to pay attention to because we're all broken, we're all messed up, we're all going to make mistakes, we're all going to do stupid things from time to time, but that does not discount us from what God wants to do. That doesn't, that doesn't mean we check out from, from following Jesus Christ, that just means God uses broken people and he has uh, things that he wants to do as he, as he molds us into the image of his son. And so we're going to look at Jacob and kind of the, some of the mistakes and some of the problems he had and some of the stuff he went through. Um, Jacob, Jacob and Esau, they were twins uh, and they were just minutes apart. Esau was born first and Esau was, the, um, that's right, Esau was born first, right? Okay, I just want to make sure I get my facts straight. Um, Esau was born first and he was a really hairy guy like born with lots of hair, and he was a hunter. He was a guy that kind of went out into the field, and then Jacob came out just a couple of minutes later. Probably a little bit more information you want to know, I apologize, Uh, but uh, this is just how the Bible covers the story. But because Esau was first, that meant he got the birthright. And later in his life, we see with the cooperation of his mother, because Jacob was a mama's boy, that Jacob and his mom kind of conspired to get the blessing and steal the blessing from Isaac. And so then what happens is Jacob uh, flees for his life because his birthright was stolen, basically. Uh, And so Esau's ticked. He's mad. He's going to get his vengeance. So Jacob takes off running and he goes to live with his uncle Laban. His uncle Laban. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 29, verse 14. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So Jacob's working, just because you're my my nephew doesn't mean you don't deserve to get paid. He's come, uh, Jacob had come in and he had noticed one of his cousins uh, was, was pleasing to his eye and uh, this is his response in verse 16. And we're not gonna get into the whole marrying cousins thing. We'll just leave that for now. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name, sorry it's really hard to get through this passage without laughing, <laughs> the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. Which is the Old Testament politically correct way of saying she was ugly. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, Well, you're my nephew, so it's better that I give her to you than to some other man, so stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to, well, do what you do when you get your wife. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. Seven years is up, but when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob must have had a lot of wine because he didn't even notice. Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, Jacob wakes up, and there was Leah. So Jacob stormed out of wherever he was staying and said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter a marriage before the older one. Finish the daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years' work. Uncle Laban was shrewd, and Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant, and Jacob did what you do with your wife on your honeymoon and worked for Laban another seven years. And that a great story. It's an interesting picture really quick. Just want to kind of point out how um, I, I, don't, I don't have any, any evidence of this, any proof of this, but it's, a, it's an interesting picture to look at, at the difference here and it's going to really set us up for our talk this morning um, how, how, how Jacob worked for seven years to earn Leah and then once he had Rachel, then he was willing to work for another seven years and it's a good picture kind of how the change between the Old Testament law and and the New Testament covenant of grace and how in the Old Testament you had to kind of work to achieve something and it's never, you know, you never kind of worked up to what you were hoping for and then in the New Testament you receive this gift and then you're willing to work out your life for it and it's just a kind of a good picture to keep in mind. Uh, A commentator said this about this. This whole story is a miniature of our disillusionment For no matter what we put our hopes in, in the morning, it's always Leah and never Rachel. This whole story is a miniature of our disillusionment. Always wake up disappointed because we put our hopes in the wrong thing. But uh, I, I kinda wanna dig into Jacob just a little bit and just focus on Jacob and, and that's all we're gonna have uh, for this morning. We don't have, don't have big long sermon for you. We'll, we'll cut it pretty short. But uh, Jacob has kinda been driven by a false identity. He's been driven by this I'm not worthy, I'm not accepted, I am not somebody. He's kind of put on this mantle because of uh, what it looks like as you read through his story, some insecurity. It looks like he's insecure and like he's always trying to earn or prove something. Because he was kind of second in line, he was always kind of following up to his older brother who was always doing the great things that his father approved of. Esau would go out and hunt and he would bring in, a, bring in some food for his dad and his dad would be proud and he'd be bragging about his son and he'd make some food and he'd kind of bring it in and be happy. and But Jacob was always kind of, always kind of just coming up short in his growing up years with his brother. And so it looks like, to me, like he kind of developed some, some insecurities, some, some habits in his life that caused him to do things, to make decisions and to go after things in a rash way, maybe in not the best way, not the most thought out way. And he ended up making some mistakes, ended up having some regrets because of how he was living. I don't know, maybe you Maybe you don't feel like that. Maybe you don't feel that way. But I know I have come up short many times in my life. There have been many times in my life where I've I've wanted to kind of meet the standard, I kind of wanted to get out to you know, a certain point, I wanted to hit that 10, right? But I always kind of come up with a five or a six and maybe a seven and, and I'm just never, never quite getting there, never quite hitting the mark, never quite hitting the bullseye. I might be getting on the target but I'm not hitting the bullseye, just coming up a little bit short, coming up a little bit empty handed. And I'm, I'm sure that uh, I'm not the only one in here who feels that way. It's, we know God loves us, right? We know on an, intellectual, on an intellectual level that God loves us. He loves us because we see all throughout the Bible that, that he loves us, but, but I think we also have this strong feeling that God is disappointed in us. We, we feel like, well, I just haven't quite lived up to what God had for me, and so, so even though I know he loves me, I think he's just a little bit disappointed. Even though he's, he's done all of this great stuff we're gonna get into in just a minute, he's done all this great stuff just think he's just a little bit disappointed in me. And this morning, this is the one thing I hope you walk out of here from, uh, uh, from the service with, is this, this phrase, I'm not defined by, by my works or by others' labels, but by God's love. I'm not defined by my works. I'm not defined by others' labels. I'm defined by by God's love. Now, let's go back, kind of, to the story of Jacob working for seven years to earn something, and then getting what he wanted and, and living that out. And we've got two ideas. There are kind of two distinct pathways. Now, let's look at the cross and kind of use the cross as our picture of grace, just as just as a, a visual reference. This morning, we a lot of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ will will come to the cross and we will accept grace. That'll kind of be the first uh, first part of our our journey with with God as we'll, we'll accept grace, but then a lot of us, they, we go off on two different roads. We have, we have the road of pleasing, and we have the road of trusting. And I think most of us will kind of journey down this path of pleasing where we're trying to please God and we've accepted the first initial gift of God's grace but then for the rest of our lives we kind of walk out in a way where we're trying to please God and to earn his acceptance. We're trying to do the things that that will earn us favor and we'll get that attaboy, we'll get the pat on the back, we'll become the one that he likes and we just kind of leave the work of grace there at the cross and it never follows us in life. But there's another path and that's the trusting path. And that's where we walk through life and we're trusting God every step of the way, we're trusting that, that God's grace is not just just one thing that happened when He died on the cross, and we put our faith in Him, but that we need God's grace every single day. We need God's grace every single day. Don't check my grammar. Walking in a trusting relationship with God is that I know I'm not perfect, I know I'm not, I'm not going to live up to God's standards, I'm going to make mistakes, but I can trust that grace that covered me and saved me is the grace that will continue to walk with me. But this pleasing path is, you know, I'm going to work on my sin, you know, I'm going I'm I'm to kind of work it out, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to fix myself. You know, like uh, Fix-It Felix, anyone ever seen Wreck-It Ralph, Wreck-It Ralph, you know, Fix-It Felix, he's got this hammer You don't have kids, right? So uh, he's got this golden hammer and he can just hit something with a hammer and it's fixed. So it's like, fix it, Felix. And there's one part in the movie where he's fixing himself after he's getting beat up. And so like, you should go watch it. It's a good movie. We're going to fix ourselves. We're going to work really hard and at some point we're going to earn God's acceptance. We're going to please God because we have done all of this stuff. So the focus is on me and what I can do and managing my sin and trying to keep it at bay in my own power and what I can do. What we need to understand is that we never graduate from grace. There's never a point in our lives where, where we kind of, well, you know, we kind of, it's like we're stepping out of something and then we finally just kind of step out of it and we're free to run. We never graduate from God's grace. We always need God's grace. So we need to be walking the trusting path, not the pleasing path. Trusting what God says about me. Not trusting what we think God thinks about us, but trusting what God says about us. That's why it's important for us to be in the Bible and read it and, and let it become a part of who we are so that our definition of ourselves comes from God and not from others or from what we think. We trust that our identity is in Christ. We, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, so our identity is in Christ. It's not in what we can do, it's what Christ has already done. We trust that what Jesus did on the cross is actually enough to cover my sins from the past, the present, and the future. God's grace is great. We need to walk in this trusting path and not the pleasing path. We all kind of drift back to pleasing from time to time. I find myself doing it. I walk in that, you know, I kind of walk in this pharisaical religious habit and pattern where I kind of need to keep certain things in check and so that I'm living and kind of meeting my checklist. And I think we all do this from time to time. I think we do it because we want to be loved and we think that if we do the right things that we're going to receive God's love. But we're maybe convinced on a more subconscious level that the only way we can get God's love is if we earn it and God's love is limited and conditional, unless we're meet, and unless we're meeting the conditions of God's love, we're not going to be loved, so we have to work up and live up to the standards. If we're falling short, then God's not going to love us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. This is from the message. We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it, and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Have some of you noticed that we're not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with with God aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore, therefore be an accessory to sin. The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting like a charlatan. Isn't what Jesus did enough? See, Paul's talking about this Old Testament thing with, with Jacob trying to earn something, and he's talking about how we had the best system in the, in the world, we had the best rule, we had the best rule book to go by, and we still came up short. We, the world had never seen anything like it, and we still came up short. So since we had known that no human, we know no human being can please God by self-improvement, we'd know we needed Jesus the Messiah we know we needed Jesus. But so oftentimes we kind of drift back into this pleasing. Have some of you noticed that we're not yet perfect? Are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin, that accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. We don't try to be good, we've been made good by the cross. And because the gift of grace is so great and we're so amazed by what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we spend then the rest of our lives living out and working for what Jesus Christ did, thanking him with our life that we live because he has done such a great thing. We don't, we're no longer working to earn or to prove something, we're just we're so thankful in what we have given. We didn't wake up with Leah, we have been given Rachel, and now we're walking forward thankful that God has given us so much. Pleasing God is a great longing, but it can never be a primary motivation. There's nothing wrong with wanting to please God and to do what is right in His eyes. But it can't be the most important thing to us. It cannot be that checklist that we have to check off that is the most important thing that, that we live by. It has to be love, the love of God. Living for acceptance and love is slavery, but living from acceptance and love is freedom. Living for acceptance and love is slavery, but living from acceptance and love is freedom. Colossians 1, 27. To them God has chosen to make, them known among, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is in you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a passage that, that I've talked about many, many times. I remember talking about this uh, right after I first started here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, when Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross, and maybe you've thought this and I've had this thought, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be easy if we could just kind of go back to that time when Jesus was walking on the earth and we could, we could walk with Jesus. We could, we could walk side by side. We could see him doing the miracles. We could hear him teaching the lessons. We could have, you know, a, a, a first person perspective, first person view of what Jesus was doing, wouldn't that be great? Then what we don't understand, what we fail to realize is that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he then left his Holy Spirit. He sent his Holy Spirit. So it's not just that we want to walk with Jesus, but Christ is in us, the hope of glory. So we don't don't need to long for the day when Jesus walks the earth. We have Christ present walking and living in us, First John chapter four, verse 13 through 18. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. This is the proof. His spirit lives in us and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. That's how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Go back to these two paths for just a minute, the one where you're trying to please God and the one where you're trusting God. Imagine you've spent your whole life pleasing, trying to please God, and it comes to the end of your life, and you're... You're standing before God and and he's going to judge you based on what you've done. Have you done enough to earn God's total, complete favor? If it's it's based on everything that I've done and I've accomplished, have we done enough? Have I done enough that when I get to that day, when I get to that, that point in time, that point in history where I am now standing before God, have I done enough to please God? And if it's on us, we never do enough, we never have done enough. That's why we don't live in trying to earn God, God's acceptance. We don't try to please God, we live in God's love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because. When we're covered in God's love, it's no longer about me, it's about what Christ did, and he lived the perfect sinless life, and his love covers me, I'm living in that love, and I am complete, I am confident, I am safe, I don't have to worry, because I'm washed in Jesus, I'm clothed in Jesus' righteousness. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. What's perfect love? What Jesus did on the cross is perfect love, because fear has to do with punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And maybe this is a good check, this is a good question. We need, am I, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of that day? Am I afraid of what's going to happen when I sin before God? Maybe I'm not living in love. Maybe I'm trying to earn God's acceptance. Most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. That's kind of the religion we grew up in. But the Bible teaches something much, much different. God doesn't love us if and when we change, but God loves us so that we can change. God loves us so that we can change. and. One of the things we've talked about just a, a couple of times throughout the series is, is this old man and new man and how we kind of have this old sinful man kind of wrapped around our spirits and we're not bodies with the spirit, but we're spirits with the body and that as, as we continue to be made more into the image of Christ and his likeness, then, then we're continuing to shed more and more of this old man and we're never completely free from it until we are in God's presence. And so it's going to be a constant struggle for the rest of our lives and what God is doing is He's changing us to be more like his son, and so he's kind of peeling away and kind of chipping off some of that stuff and, and pushing it away and digging us out and lifting us out of this old man, and it's going to be a struggle until we reach the other side, but it is God that is doing the work, and then we walk out and live in the way God has called us to live as a response because we're so thankful that it's based on God's love that we have acceptance, not on what I do. So, where is your definition of life? What is defining you? Are you defined right now by your works? Are you defined right now by what you're able to accomplish? What you're able to do? Or are you defined by the love of God? Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. For you created me in my inmost being You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Maybe you're struggling to feel accepted because you just don't feel like you have any worth. Maybe you don't feel like you have anything to offer to this world. But as you look at that verse in Psalm 139, You created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Does that sound like you were an accident? Does that sound like you don't have any value? Does that sound like God just kind of, well, just gonna let that one happen? just gonna let that one just kinda come on, come into the world and we'll just, you know, it's not really what I wanted, it's not really what I had planned, but we're just gonna let him come into the world and see what happens and see how things go, or does it sound like God created us on purpose for a purpose, like we've said, you've heard that before from other pastors, on purpose for a purpose. You were created, you were designed, you have a purpose and a plan, and you're important to God because God made you. You're here because God thought you needed to be in this universe. You are intentional. You're not an accident. Even if your parents didn't plan you, you weren't an accident. You're here because God wants you here. And it's not just that he wants you here, but he loves you and he loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross so that you could live in his love. God loves you because you were his. I don't know uh, how many of you have kids. If you've, if you've had children, this will connect with you. If not, you probably observe some parents and their kids. But we have four kids, Hannah, Henry, Harry, and Harper. Hannah is nine, Henry is seven, Harry is four, almost five in November, can't believe that. And Harper just as three in February. Um, and, you, you know, there's kind of a, a maternal instinct, right? There's this, there's this natural bond, right, between mothers and their children. And, of course, that's because that's where they come from. And so I'm uh, not going to get into that. But, but there's just this an, an immediate natural connection. But, but there's also, if, if you were there, fathers, if you were a part of this experience, then, then you know that, that there is also an immediate connection between a father and their child, and I was, I was really surprised by this because as soon as I met my oldest, Hannah, for the first time, there was just like a switch that went on in me that, that I could not explain, I, I cannot put a finger on, but it, but it was this instant, this is my child, this is my thing, this is a part of me, this is, this is, this is my daughter. And back off, right? <laughs> This is my kid. Anything that happens, you're gonna be you're gonna be really sorry if you did that. And so and and that feeling that, that did not change with, with the rest of the children that we had. So we had Henry and that same feeling, that overwhelming sense of, wow, this this is my I, this is my son. Same thing with Harrison when he was born. This is my son. I remember Harry. In the hospital, just smiling. I think at like a, less than a day old. Within like 12 hours, smiling. And just this is my son. He's also startled by really loud noises. when It's really fun to kind of slam a door and watch him. <laughs> you know, just kind of go like that. But then Harper, <clears throat> Harper. This is my daughter. This is you hold him for the first time. This is this is my child. And there is nothing that they could ever do on this earth that would change that fact. There is nothing as as they walk through this life, as they go through this life in their imperfect way and all the mistakes that they're going to make because all of us are fallen and broken and imperfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're not going to live up to whatever they think my standards are. They're going to disappoint me. They're going to do things that I don't like and they're going to have an ideal in their head that, that they're trying to live up to that they're not going to be able to live up to. But nothing that they do as they walk through this life will ever change the fact that they are my children. And that's because they are not my children based on what they do, and I'm going to accept them based on the kind of life that they live. They are my children because I was there when they were made. I was there when they were born. This is my kid. They will always be my kid. They are covered in my love no matter what they do. And this is exactly what what happens except at a much higher, a much more perfect, a much more amazing level with God the Father and us? God made us. God was there when we were created. God was there when we were born. He loves us because He made us and He wants us. And no matter what we do, no matter what path we walk on, no matter how many mistakes we make, no matter all the wrong choices and all the wrong things that we do, no matter all of that stuff that we think is what is going to keep us from God's love, what matters is that we were made by God and He wants us to be His. We are made by God and he wants us to walk with him. And so here's this amazing thing that we're stepping into. It is God's grace. We're stepping into this amazing, beautiful thing that we cannot comprehend, this, this thing that we cannot explain with the words that we have. We're stepping into God's grace. Here's this picture. God sent his son to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins because we're imperfect, we're broken, we make mistakes and there has to be someone that pays the price and the cost for our sins is our life and so if somebody didn't come and pay with their life then we'd have to pay with our life and our life isn't going to live up to that standard. So Jesus came and he made the perfect sacrifice. He Died the perfect death. And then he rose three days later and he conquered death hell and the grave which gave him the, the power over everything as if he didn't already have it. But he did have it and he does have it and then he ascended and then he left the Holy Spirit to be here and walk with us and to power us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Here's this amazing thing and it gets even better. We're not just stepping into this religious thing where Jesus Christ came and died on a cross. We're, we're stepping into an actual kingdom, the kingdom of God where we are sons and daughters of the Lord most high. We, we are children of the king of kings and lord of lords. And now we're no longer standing on the outside as peasants hoping that we can collect some of the the, the breadcrumbs and scraps and hoping that we just might get a taste of what the kingdom is like on the inside. But we are brought into the kingdom as children. We are brought into the kingdom as heirs to the throne. We are co-heirs with Christ is what we read in the New Testament. We are now children of the God of the universe. This is what grace is. This is what God brings us into, you are God's child, and his love for you is not based on your performance. This is grace. How would your life change right now if you started living like you were loved? How would your life change if you started living like you were already accepted? Like you were already a son, already a daughter. There's no other faith on the planet like this. There's no other religion on the planet like this. You have to earn your way into hopefully being enough. But God starts with grace. He gives us Rachel, and then we live our life in response. I'm going to ask you to stand. The band is going to come. As they're coming, if you, if we would if everyone would bow their head and close their eyes. I don't know I don't know where you are today, I don't know what you're feeling. But I just want to go through a list here of your identity a list of some of the things that the Bible uses to describe you as a child of the king. Maybe you're feeling insecure. Maybe you're feeling like you need to do just a little bit more so that you're approved, just a little bit more so that you're accepted. Maybe you've never even put your faith in Jesus Christ because you think there's just too much wrong that I've done and I have got to fix all of this stuff before I can even ever enter into his presence. faith is a free gift of God that he gives freely. It just starts with the picture of what we're stepping into. It starts with the picture of what we've been invited into. It starts with grace. It doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with the wrongs that we've done. It doesn't start with our ability to fix ourselves, this journey that you may need to begin today starts with grace and what Jesus Christ did on that cross. And if you've put your faith in him, if you've decided that he is your savior, he is the one that has the power to restore your broken soul, this is who you are. You're accepted. You're a child of the king. You are God's workmanship. You're God's friend. You're adopted into the kingdom. You are God's vessel. You are God's chosen one. You are his witness, his ambassador, his instrument. You're forgiven. You're complete. You are sanctified. You are loved eternally. You're a light. You're a city on a hill. You're more than a conqueror. You're a shield. You are secure. You're healed. You're sheltered. You are constantly on God's mind and you are now at peace. God favors you. You're a favorite. God designed you, he created you on purpose. You are significant, you are lavishly loved, you are a child of God, you are accepted, and you are his. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this amazing, amazing grace that that no matter how many times we talk about, no matter how many times we try to explain, words just always come up short, we just never quite get it across in the way, Father, I pray in a supernatural way right now in this moment that you would just show us what grace is without needing words, that you would just give us this picture that we would be stepping toward grace. If we've never taken that step, if we've never stepped into grace, Father, I pray that you'd give us the boldness and the courage to do that right now and that you would show us that without the grace of Jesus Christ and what he offers us, we are sinners. We're broken. We we have no hope. We have no help. And Father, I pray that as we look at that grace that you would help us to be willing to leave behind whatever sin it is that we cling to so tightly to lay that down and to walk into what you have to offer us, to believe that what Jesus Christ did on that cross was done for me, that he is the Savior of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and commit our lives from this point forward to following, to walking with you, And for all those mornings that we've woken up disappointed by the lives that we've led and the mistakes that we've made, Father, I pray that throughout the rest of this day and tomorrow morning when we wake up, we would not wake up disappointed by Leah, but we would wake up amazed by grace. It's all about you. It's all about what you did. It's all about your love. It's all about Jesus dying on the cross in my place. It is all about that. And Father, from this point forward, I pray whether we're just beginning our journey today or we've been walking with you for years, that we would just cling to this verse, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that I want to do everything in this life that I can so that my life is for Christ, my life is about Jesus Christ, my life is about living out what God has given me to live out, my life is about loving the way God loved and and serving the way Jesus served and walking the way Jesus walked by his power in us, not my power. And that if we die, We gain everything by being in the presence of God. Thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to live in that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.